We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular ICRT commentator, Ross Feingold. Good evening, Gavin. And the new power party's Xiaoxing Sheng. Good to see you guys again. And tonight we'll be discussing a pretty much unnoticed China National Day speech, differing opinions about the Hong Kong protests, a rather white photo shoot that could or could not be the beginning of a political relationship, the end of a seemingly never-ending Uber saga, and a hit horror flick. But we'll begin with the collapse of the Nanfong Ao Bridge on Tuesday morning, which resulted in the death of three Filipino and three Indonesian migrant fishermen. Footage of the bridge collapse was caught by numerous closed-circuit television cameras in the area, which made it all the more horrific in the hours immediately after it happened. The collapse then took a rather alarming turn by Wednesday, when it was revealed that the steel cables, which many experts say had corroded and were likely the major cause of the bridge's collapse, hadn't been inspected for 21 years. And if that wasn't enough, the Ministry of Transport announced that a report compiled by the Jenshin University of Science and Technology in 2016 showed that the Nanfong Ao Bridge had damaged expansion joints that were, according to the report, obviously warped, damaged and sagging. Now, headlines in four of Taiwan's major Chinese-language newspapers on Thursday following those revelations screamed Nanfong Ao deaths caused by bureaucrats. Now, Transport Minister Lin Jialong says the government will complete a comprehensive inspection of eight other port bridges by the end of this year to ensure public safety and apparently none of those bridges that are being checked have been inspected since they were built. So Ross, bureaucrats cause the death, infrastructure problems yet again. Well based on the the summary of the facts as we know it as you uh, related from the media reports. It seems like it's all of the above. So all the various issues that you just identified, uh, failure to do comprehensive inspection or repair work that was only done on on some of the structural issues of, of the bridge, but not the full range of issues that had already been identified by outside scholars. Um, bureaucratic inertia. Inevitably, we're probably going to find that to the extent work was done on this bridge or other bridges, that some of it was substandard because unfortunately there, there's a lot of past history of that as well. And, and then there'll be a lot of what we call in English uh, CYA, cover your ass. Uh, so you will see closing of ranks uh, in the bureaucracy, whether it's at a local level or a central government level, trying to defend uh, the people who are in office now. And, in, and as you usually do, you blame the people who are in office before. Uh, as we also know from past incidents uh, of a similar nature in Taiwan, whether it's infrastructure collapse, landslides, road collapse, bridge collapse, air crash, train crash, or bus crash, uh, unfortunately, there's usually very little pun- by the way of punishment. Sure, a, a company or the the most directly responsible regulatory agency might get a little bit of a fine. A little bit might might be a few million NT, ten million NT, which ultimately is not a lot of money. Victims might get some compensation. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens here with the victims being foreigners and, and foreign labor. Unfortunately, in Taiwan, they often get treated unfairly when it comes to these kinds of things. Uh, but but are people going to be held responsible? If anyone ever gets prosecuted, it'll be in the court system for, for years and years and years. If they get found guilty, they'll appeal. If, the, if, they're, if, if they're found not guilty, the prosecutors will appeal. Judges will give them a, a jail sentence, which on appeal will be reduced significantly. And unfortunately, the public will forget 
bureaucrats will forget and that a few years later there'll be another incident. Uh, yeah, it, it, you could hear the frustration in my voice, Gavin, because we, we've seen these things so many times. We talk about them on, on the air, unfortunately, after they happen. Um, but for all the infrastructure expertise that exists in Taiwan, all the technical expertise that exists in Taiwan. And when I say infrastructure expertise, we have to keep in mind that the government, the DPP from the executive branch submitted to the legislative branch, a a massive budget once they came into office in 2016 to build more infrastructure, right? The the forward-looking infrastructure plan. And they're going to build more stuff when the existing stuff isn't properly maintained. And and again, unfortunately, we just see this cycle and, and it just never improves. It's that safety culture that we talk about whenever these incidents happen. It just doesn't exist here in Taiwan sufficiently. Yeah, so um, I agree with what uh, Raj just said. Um, it's unfortunate that this uh, bridge is collapsed. And although the final straw of the cost of collapse, maybe the typhoon itself, but it's true that uh, the, there's a lot of uh, deficiencies in the maintenance of the bridge. For example, it's been pointed out that uh, the maintenance schedule is about three to four years. Um, and it's... Uh, it's probably insufficient and also there's some badly designed components in the bridge that's been coming out in the reports but um, I want to draw down um, a point that Ross mentioned the the death the six deaths are all the migrant fishing workers and so if anything I hope this incident shines lights on these harsh conditions that these migrant workers is working under and it's worth pointing out that they died because they had to sleep on the boat. And why? Because they are forced by the employers um, to look after the boat and they were not allowed to get on land. So they have to sleep on the boat. And when the bridge collapsed, uh, they they unfortunately, you know, uh, died because they had, they had to be there. So, I mean, th- this is very unfortunate that um, migrant workers come here to work in Taiwan offering their labor, but um, there's no whatsoever law that can protect them, you know, a, a fair working condition. And, of course, the, the, the bridge collapse uh, at this time of the year, I mean, is under hev- heavy scrutiny and all, you know, political parties are looking for, you know, ways to make a political point. So um, um, the administration is definitely being very careful in handling of this. So we want to make sure they um, they produce a comprehensive report. Uh, they make sure the responsible party, you know, receive the, uh, the proportional punishment. Um, but also we can see that a lot of conspiracy theories has been coming out. For example, I've seen... Um, fake videos, or not, not even fake videos, being passed around that the president is, you know, misidentifying the cause of the bridge collapse. Um, so this is just a lot of blames being uh, pointing around. Um, and also, I've seen legislator um, Huang Guochang has been calling for investigation of a scandal, such as that um, the uh, the party responsible for. Uh, contracting the inspectors is the same party with the inspectors itself. So this is a lot of um, points being thrown around and we want to make sure, um, I think the administration wants to make sure this does not hurt their chance of um, winning the election. And Ross, Xiao mentioned the migrant workers there and their treatment. Of course, the Taiwan International Ports Corporation has said that it, it, will, it will pay compensation to the families of the dead migrant fishermen. I believe it's several million NT. But the head of the manpower agency that employed them has said that they, they weren't on the group insurance policy. 
Again, the, you know, that, that just points out how migrant workers are often not adequately protected or they're treated differently. And look, you and I, Gavin, unfortunately, we've experienced that as well, even though we're, we're not blue-collar labor, we're, we're white-collar labor, uh, you could call us, in, in Taiwan. But, but you know, I'm sure the, the foreigners in the audience would have experienced this as well, where we're often told, oh, well, you're different. You know, you're treated differently uh, for some kind of compensation scheme at, at a company or, or other type of employer. Uh, and sometimes the rules don't require that foreigners be treated differently. Actually, the rules or the applicable laws require that everyone be treated equally. But employers often use that, uh, oh, you're a foreigner, you're different, as a way to to get out of paying something. Or uh, similar to the bureaucratic inertia that we were talking about earlier, sometimes at employers, there's also inertia where, they, oh, it's a foreigner, we're not going to bother figuring out how, how to classify them or a better understanding uh, what, what, the way they should be classified for these kinds of compensation or insurance protection uh, purposes. So we'll just say, oh, you're a foreigner, you're different, so we want to add you to the roster of people who are protected or some such thing. And it, 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 unfortunately, it, that's the reality of, of being foreign, foreign workers in Taiwan, and especially for, for um, migrant labor or blue-collar workers, factory workers, fishermen, uh, construction workers, uh, hopefully they will get paid. Uh, they'll get paid everything they're entitled to under the law, and hopefully they'll get paid quickly. But you know, a few months from now, we'll probably be having this conversation again because their family, their relatives are going to be coming here. They're probably going to need to be calling up Xiao's help to, to be standing outside some government office to protest saying, you know, we haven't been paid or we weren't paid the amount that we think we're entitled to. Uh, someone will probably uh, you know, try someone on the company side or and the government would probably say, well, you know, they were partially at fault because they didn't uh, move the boat to the proper location, right? They'll find some way to do some blame shifting to reduce the payout, and it'll wind up being a fight in order to get to get the compensation, and that, that'll be unfortunate, but we've seen that before. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, I think Taiwan has been moving in the right direction in regards to um, foreign white-collar workers. For example, we passed a law that makes it easier for startup um, foreign talents to come here. Um, but still, I mean, foreign migrant um, blue-collar workers, especially in the fishing industry, is still facing you know some harsh conditions. So not only they had to sleep on the boats. Um, if you look at uh, the reports on the on the you know far sea fishing fleets, um, you'll see that they are basically enslaved to work on the boat. I mean, they re- receive uh, basically nothing for long, long hours of working harsh conditions. So I, I agree with Russ completely that this needs to change. Moving on, and it was China's National Day this Tuesday. And while talking heads and Asia experts in the United States and elsewhere, as well as the international media, was all a flutter about how Beijing would address the Taiwan issue when President Xi Jinping made his big speech in Tiananmen Square, unless you work for the government, the main opposition KMT, or the Chinese Unification Promotion Party, it pretty much went unnoticed here in Taiwan. Now, during his speech, Xi reaffirmed the one-country, two-systems policy for Hong Kong, Macau and Taiwan and said that China will continue its struggle for full unification of the country in a statement seen as being directed solely at Taiwan. So nothing really new to jump up and down about there. Meanwhile here in Taipei the Mainland Affairs Council reiterated the government's rejection of China's one country two systems framework as a future path for cross-strait relations so nothing new there and the KMT released a statement in which it said it also opposes the one country two systems framework but supports the 1992 
2022 consensus, so nothing new there either. However, the Chinese Unification Promotion Party did something new, that being celebrating China's National Day with an illegal rally outside the Taipei main station. Now, party founder and former mob boss Zhang Anlu told the maybe two dozen people who turned up at the event that the People's Republic of China will lead the ethnic Chinese people to lasting peace and harmony. Now, the unauthorised event went on for nearly two and a half hours before police finally dispersed the crowd. Now, of course, Xiao, there was some controversy over how it was allowed to continue for two and a half hours. Exactly. I mean, um, if you look at um, the Taipei city government's handling of the previous illegal rallies or protests, you see that um, Mayor Cohen has already already in the direction of um, the law is the law. So he's a very strict law in, in terms of these rallying um, regulations. So it puzzles many of us to see that um, the illegal you know, gathering of uh, protests or, or rally goers to celebrate China's um, National Day in outside of Taipei Main Station has been allowed to not only go on for two hours, but they were being allowed to assemble the whole stage, which is very, very huge structure. Sorry, um, Xiao, I'm going to interrupt you here okay. because okay, yeah, two hours. What uh, Gavin said, two dozen people. What do you want? You want the police to go in with with batons and, and tear gas like Hong Kong for 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 two dozen people who were there for two hours? Or do you want them, or do you want the police to to just kind of okay, guys. You know, we 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 showed you some slack. We, we don't really care about your cause. Actually, nobody in Taiwan cares for their cause, other than the two dozen people who were there. So, so do you really want the police to go in at the first minute with batons and tear gas and chase them out and make them martyrs, or just let them scream for a couple hours and be like, okay, guys? You know what? You don't have a permit. We're telling you now. You know, we gave you two hours, but you don't have a permit, so you, you got to leave, or we're going to arrest you. Isn't that a reasonable way of handling it, rather than like going in, you know, throwing them to the ground and arresting them at the first minute? I agree. That's that's reasonable, but but that's not the length of time or the number of people that that's the matter. I mean, it's that they are building a stage out right outside Taipei Main Station, um, and when you are building a stage, I mean. Um, it, Without a permit, I mean, that's something that the police probably ought to be doing something about because, I mean, uh, any legal rallies or legal protesters, they have to pay about 30 thousand you know yes you got to make sure you got to pay deposits and that's right against damages Um, to public space and and i completely agree with you i'm not disputing any of that but again you know what were the options because look most people don't agree with them i don't agree with with their cause uh uh, but but what are you going to do you're going to throw them to the ground and arrest them in the first minute and have the police tearing up their stage then people criticize the police for being violent so it seems like you know, under the circumstances, it's the best way to ensure that other than on ICRT, no one else is talking about this. <laughs> there was apparently 800 police officers there. Mobilized. The, yes. The Taipei City government had, in fact, mobilized a lot of police officers. Some of them were in riot gear. Well, to the police's credit, though, or to the city government's credit, because, OK, look, we, we got these two dozen people. Nobody really likes them. We don't want Xiao or the New Power Party to come down there and get into a, a fights with these people or anyone else who disagrees with their cause. So we'll have a lot of police. And, and again, that's why there's 800 police there. They're not necessarily there because those two dozen people are going to go attack 
people walking by, although there's a potential for people to get into to arguments with them because, again, nobody likes their cause. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just they're there to maintain the peace. So they sent an overwhelming number of police. And, and again, as I said, you know, at some point the police said to, to Mr. Zhang and his, his merry band of unificationists, guys, you don't have a permit. You got to leave. And if you don't leave, we will arrest you. It, it just seems under the circumstances uh, that they handled it in a fairly appropriate way. The other option would have been to just arrest them in the first instance. And then you might have had you know, people pushing and shoving with the police. I think, Xiao, Ross has got a point. Do you, do you think Zhang Anler's mob, he's a former mob boss, so I just use the word mob there because it's over a group of people, <laughs> um, could have been hoping to have been arrested or hoping for the police to take action against them to create a sort of more newsworthy system of their event? I think that's definitely their uh, usual, you know, mode of operation. I mean, in, in the previous, you know, rallies or protests, they are known to be creating very chaotic scenes and using um, violence, especially, I mean, I want to point out the fact, although that's our next statement, I mean, just a couple of days ago, um, their people put, put red pen on, on the Hong Kong, you know, uh, activist Dennis Ho. Uh, so, I mean, this has been very tense, you know, air surrounding the, the whole rally. So that's why, I mean, the police or the Taipei city government ought to handle it a little more, I mean, cautiously. Um, yes. Right, and Ross, of course, um, Mr. Xi Jinping's speech, of course, pretty much unnoticed here. Did you notice it? Uh, the reality is people in Taiwan do not stop what they're doing. Every time a Chinese leader makes a statement or the Chinese uh, spokespeople, from, whether it's from the Taiwan Affairs Office of Guotaiban, the Foreign Ministry, any other government agency in, in, in Beijing, uh, people here uh, just don't pay attention. You know, we're, we're, we know what China's positions are. We know they're not very nice to Taiwan, to, to put it lightly. Uh, they're threatening to use force against Taiwan. 23 million people here know this already. Uh, they know that China says we want to unify uh, under 92 consensus. Sometimes they say one country, two systems. Uh, so one more statement on a you know, the, the fact that it's the 70th anniversary is as relevant as if it was the 65th anniversary or the 50th anniversary. It just doesn't mean anything to people here. The military parade doesn't mean anything. You, again, we live under uh, the threat of force from China every day. In recent years, their pace of military exercises has, has increased substantially. And that's actually more newsworthy because that means aircraft or ships are flying or sailing very close to Taiwan and Taiwan has to respond. So, for example, Yavin, the incident earlier this year when a Chinese aircraft crossed the dividing line, the median line in the Taiwan Strait, that got a lot more attention here, than, I think, than, than, a, than a parade, because that, that was a real cause for concern. It was probing. It's something they might uh, do again in the future. And, and it has a lot more significance, a lot more risk for Taiwan than, than a, a parade, even though during the parade, they showed off some very scary weapons, older weapons, newer weapons. Uh, but, but you know, we just can't stop our lives here because they have an event over there. Xiao, did you pay attention to Mr. Xi's speech or was it just, oh, there's a bridge collapse? Um, yeah, I didn't pay any attention and neither did many of um, our, you know, Taiwanese friends. But I, I can't help but point out that some group of people who did, I mean, that's the KMT. So they not only pay attention to the National Day and Xi's speech, but actually they post a, a very weird article on Facebook uh, right on National China's National Day um, celebrating China. China's celebrating the National Day. So throughout the, the article, you'll see that they are celebrating 
uh, National Day, but at the very end it says we're celebrating the Republic of China National Day, which is very weird because Republic of China's National Day is October the 10th, and they are celebrating National Day on October the 1st. Although, um, so this is very obvious a uh, 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 celebration laboratory note to Chinese government and it's very weird that they are posting that on, on, on that day maybe they just wanted to get ahead of the government to celebrate National Day they may be, they're just early or maybe, yes. maybe someone was confused with the date on their Facebook page well, that is a possibility normally can't is late on things but this they can be <laughs> events early this time exactly yes. Xiao will you be celebrating National Day on the 10th well that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> we'll see Anyway, while China's National Day may have passed here pretty much unnoticed, the Hong Kong protests that are still ongoing didn't, as tens of thousands of people braved heavy rain in Taipei last Sunday to rally in support of said pro-democracy protesters. Now, the 929 Taiwan Stands with Hong Kong rally was organised by the Taiwan Citizen Front, the Taiwan Youth Association for Democracy, the National Students' Union of Taiwan and the Hong Kong Outlanders. Now, as Xiao mentioned earlier, Hong Kong singer Denise Ho attended the event and she was sprayed with red paint by two men ahead of the rally. Now police arrested those two men and both have now been freed on bail of 200,000 NT. However the Hong Kong singer says she plans to sue them. Now the Hong Kong protest issue was also made it onto campuses here in Taiwan in several weeks because the National Immigration Agency was forced this week to warn Chinese students studying here that they run the risk of being denied re-entry into the country if they're caught breaking laws and regulations. Now, the statement comes amid incidents at the Aishou University, or the Ishou University, the Chinese Cultural University and the Shi Xin University involving Chinese and Hong Kong students that resulted in scuffles and violence. Now, most of the incidents have involved Chinese students angered by messages boards set up on the campuses on which students have posted notes of support for the Hong Kong pro-democracy protests. So, Ross, there we go. It's spilling over to the camp. Big rally for Hong Kong. No, OK, so one person covered with paint, but apart from that, violence-free. But, of course, some violence on university campuses. Well, maybe as a starting point, any acts of violence should be condemned and the perpetrator should be prosecuted. Uh, so whether it's the, the individuals who threw... Uh, the paint or red liquid on, on Denise Ho, they should be prosecuted. Students, wherever they're from, whether they're from China or Taiwan or Hong Kong, uh, the UK, Gavin, uh, any anyone who commits an act of violence uh, should, should be prosecuted. Act of vandalism should be prosecuted. Uh, that's one of the justifications for allowing public rallies for a cause uh, or allowing discussion on campus or one of the justifications for continuing to welcome students from China to come to Taiwan is that here in Taiwan, we do have freedom of speech and we do have the right of assembly, uh, including those those people, those unificationists. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> I guess at some level, they still have their right of assembly as well, even though they didn't have a permit. Uh, and these are things that uh, distinguish Taiwan from, from China. So we want to make sure we continue to allow that to occur. And it generally does occur. And, and the people who seek to disrupt it, whether it's uh, local people who threw the, the paint on Denise Ho or Chinese students, they should be prosecuted. But we always see in these situations that, that government officials really struggle how to respond because they don't want to be accused of um, being in opposition to free speech or, or the right to rally. So even with the, the Chinese students, you see the, the struggle by uh, school officials or education ministry officials because inevitably – 
Xiao. We won't mention any political parties, uh, but there are going to be some. Oh, well, you know, get rid of the Chinese students. Shouldn't let them in. You know, prosecute them. No more Chinese students, etc. And uh, the school officials, they kind of, well, you know, we, we, we disciplined them. We gave them a warning. We gave them some demerits. We won't let them live in the, in the dormitory. Or, you know, at the central government level, they'll usually say, well, yeah, we think the school has handled it appropriately because they don't want to get involved either. right? Because then they'll get accused of not just being anti-democratic or anti-free speech, but they'll get accused of um, micromanaging universities, which is something that at the central government level, the, the education ministry, uh, they want to avoid because every time they do have to step in to university campus management, nobody's happy with the way the education ministry handles it. We saw that with National Taiwan University's uh, chancellor election and how that played out. Uh, so the, the education ministry wants to defer to the schools. The schools don't want to really be in the business of, of expelling students, so they give them a light punishment. And then the politicians or media will criticize the schools. So it just goes into a, a big cycle. Uh, but but the fact is, Gavin, there there was this large event in, in in Taipei last Sunday, and it was the, similar to events all over the world. So in that regard, Taiwan was not unique. Right? There, there were rallies in, in big cities around the world. Uh, the organizers here, and you mentioned this long list of, of organizations that were co-sponsors. So it's there is a political element, and, and I think it's important for the audience to keep that in mind. There are a lot of politicians in Taiwan who are trying to help their electoral chances in the upcoming um, legislative and presidential election by being very supportive of the Hong Kong protesters. So we see a lot of organizations signed on as co-sponsors, political parties, xiao, politicians showing up at, at the rally, xiao. Uh, <laughs> so, so we see people want to jump on and show their support. Uh, but there, there's also another important thing to remember is, uh, as you said, Gavin, it was raining and the typhoon was approaching. I don't think there were 100,000 people there. I, I think the, the organizers, uh, when they said, we have 100,000 people, that was consistent with past practice in Taiwan and other places as well where uh, rally organizers typically will overstate the attendance, sometimes by a large factor. For, uh, I'll contrast that with another rally that similar people um, attended a few months ago. That was the anti-red media rally. I think that was that was in June. And a lot of similar organizers, um, speakers, politicians, political parties, Xiao. Uh, it was raining too. They were, were at that event. And that event had a lot more people, right? The anti-red media, you know, China influence on Taiwan's media. So I think it shows that, yes, people in, in Taiwan are concerned about events in Hong Kong, but are far more concerned about something that has to do much more domestically with with Taiwan. And the, the red media, anti-red media rally was an example of that. So, Xiao, I mean, these Chinese students on universities, of course, a couple of, there was a couple called in Kaohsiung. They were taken to the police headquarters there and they were questioned. And then the student union at the National Sun Yat-sen University basically dismissed the charges against them because they apologized. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to point out, I mean, we are all for, I mean, Chinese students coming to study in our universities because, I mean, I mean, the men and the, the Chinese university has been drawing our students very heavily. And, and we want to make sure we have the same, you know, uh, we have Chinese students coming over to study our way of life, our democratic systems. And I think it's having a very huge influence on people who are coming over to study. Uh, I've seen a documentary on the Sunflower Movement and one of the uh, 
ladies uh, characterized in, in the documentary was a Chinese student studying in uh, one of Taiwanese universities. And in the documentary, she has been seen to be very much influenced by the protest, by the, uh, the show of democratic values. So I think that's overall a good sign. But what we are opposing is that the Chinese students here being a surrogate of um, the Chinese government's, you know, um, authoritarian regime, uh, especially demonstrating violence when they are tearing down the land on wars and being beating up Taiwanese or Hong Kongese students who are trying to protect the wall. So this is something we are against um, because, I mean, you can fight value with value, but you cannot uh, committed violence. That's the very last line of defense against any, you know, encroachment of our values. So this is something we need to be very serious at dealing with. And as regard to the to the rally, I mean, um, to say it's raining is to put it lightly. I mean, it was pouring, <laughs> pouring rain. I was there for a whole three hours, and it was really raining heavily. So uh, that's true. The, the ten the attendees may not amount to hundred thousand as the organizers. Pr- proclaimed but it was a lot of people given the amount of rain that's pouring down on the sky so i mean it's pretty impressive and i i i, I marched with the group and we chanted um uh, free hong kong revolution now and or Ta- hong kong today taiwan tomorrow so it was really a show of force of solidarity between the hong kongese and and and, and taiwanese people uh, against the so-called one country two system policy that's uh, showing that taiwan will never agree to that We have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And there wasn't a whole lot of election news this week, which some might be thankful for, but Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur did appear to be scrambling to get the backing of some rather heavy hitters for his Taiwan People's Party. Now, Kerr began the week by saying that he still hopes Terry Guo will head the party's slate of legislature-at-large candidates, describing the former Honhai chairman as a mother hen or standard bearer who could help other TPP candidates win seats in the legislative election. Now, Kerr also said that he believes Guo could recommend people with financial and economic expertise to serve as candidates for his party. But a top aide to Terry Gore appeared to dismiss his joining another political party, having just walked out of the KMT, saying that Gore, well, he's not going to join any party at the moment. So there we had it. By Monday, we thought Gore would have no more to do with Kerr, but then later on in the week, Kerr and Gore held a rather fancy white-shirted promotional photo shoot for the TPP's legislative candidates. So, Xiao, what's going on here? First of all, Gore's aide, no, he's not joining a party. Then Gore, in the fancy photo shoot, was promoting Kerwinger's party. Yeah, so Kerwinger has been very busy still trying to, you know, work on this so-called the mother hand effect. I mean, to, to have a... A prominent figure, you know, leading his group of candidates uh, in this uh, legislature section. Um, so it's pretty interesting to point out that although Terry Quo has been in photo shoot with with some of his candidates, but not but not all of his candidates. And there's been a news piece saying that uh, Quo refused to be in photo shoot with candidates with a more a greener background. So I mean, then this would be very interesting. So we can tell exactly which of uh, the uh, Coenger's candidates are, are greener or which are blue. Um, so, because that that's the question that people who face in their candidates wants to ask. I mean, is this candidate drawing more from 
a green camp or more photos from the blue camp. So uh, and by being a photo shoot with the Terry Gore, I think the answer would be much more clear that this candidate is targeting the blue voters and that, 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 that probably would help formulate campaign strategies. So, Ross, could this be a, a sign of cooperation between Gore and Kerr's party? Or do you think just Terry Gore did Kerr a favour? We shouldn't get too focused on does he join the party or not. I know people in Taiwan, they, they seem to have this unnecessary focus on did somebody fill out a, a membership application and pay their party dues. And we saw that recently with former Vice President Annette Liu, uh, who, who is going to uh, seek to be a presidential candidate based on uh, petitions, signatures, uh, but she's endorsed by the Formosa Alliance. And says, oh, but uh, didn't she leave the DPP? And then the DPP said, well, actually, she never really completed the process to withdraw her membership. Who cares? So who cares whether or not Terry Goh fills out a membership form or, or he canceled his membership for the Guomindang properly or in accordance with regulations or he fills out a form to join the Taiwan People's Party. This is so irrelevant. What is relevant is whether he does events like this photo shoot. Will he go to rallies? Will he take to social media where he has a following as a result of his attempt to, to run for president this year? And of course, just being a, a prominent tycoon. He had a following. Uh, will, will he go to Facebook and encourage his followers to support, vote for certain candidates, whether from the, the Taiwan People's Party or, or other parties? Uh, that's what's more important. Will, will he endorse and, and, and encourage people to vote for candidates? And it looks like he's willing to do that. And then, you know, as far as calling him the, the golden hen, I mean, what we're really talking about here, Gavin, is is money. Is he, is he going to donate money to the party or to candidates. And that's fine. Right? This, it, it, we were talking earlier in the program about the right to rally and free speech and democracy. And part of that is also the right to donate money within the, the legal parameters to donate money. So if, if Terry Goh wants to donate money to the Taiwan People's Party headquarters or to candidates directly, good on him. That's his legal right to do so. And he shouldn't be criticized for, for doing that. And I would expect America and the candidates in the party to actively seek Terry Goh's financial support, which, as Xiao as pointed out, it, it may come to some of the candidates who are not necessarily uh, from a DPP background, and, and um, it won't go to them, but it, maybe it'll go to some of the candidates who have a neutral or, or a Guomindang background. Obviously, Mr. Goh has to be concerned about jeopardizing his relationships in China. Ultimately, does it matter to the voters? Are voters going to vote for a legislative candidate? from the Taiwan People's Party simply because Terry Goh endorsed them? Well, based on his failed presidential campaign or attempt to win the Guomindang nomination in the primary, and then ultimately his decision not to seek signatures to run as an independent candidate, uh, I would have to question what influence he would have over a, a legislative election. Xiao, obviously Ross made a point there, but do you think, do you think if Terry Gore does give money to the Kerwinger's Taiwan People's Party and it's somehow divvied up unfairly, unevenly between A and B candidate, this could sort of condemn Kerwinger's party to the dustbin of political parties even before it's got started because obviously people are going to be leaving. Exactly. I mean, but I want to point out that um, although people can legally donate money, but the amount of money that Kerwinger wants to solicit from Terry Quo 
may not be able to be donated legally because it's going to be a huge sum of money, and there are specific regulations on how much you can donate per company. So uh, either he has to do it through a lot of shell companies or, or, or do it privately, which is illegally. So that's well, I'm sorry, but as an individual, he could donate money. It doesn't have to be a corporate donation. Yeah, exactly. But and, and yes, there are limits, but he yeah, can still donate. Yes, of course. Let's not assume it, he's going to break yeah, the law. Individuals. Be, I was he'd have one of those big checks, you see. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> like at a charity event. <laughs> but there's limits on individual donation. That's even less than uh, corporate donation. So yeah, that's true. But of course, um, but, but number one, I mean, of course, everybody is seeking Terry Crow's support because he does have a huge bank account. Um, and that's true. Um, but I, can you confirm that the new, new new Power Party has never sought a donation and would not take a donation from Terry Go? Uh, I probably can confirm we have not sought it. <laughs> I, I, I think it was it would be a, little, a very little check. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think even we, if we asked, he wouldn't ever do it. But anyway, um, but what I just want to say that the Taiwan People's Party, the Kowenjo's new party, has been touting itself being uh, above blue and green. But right now, we don't see any of that. I mean, Cohen's has been attacking DPP nonstop, and he's seeking support of Terry Guo. Um So this is just is, is not above blue and green at all, it looks to my side. So, uh, I mean, that's... Yeah, that, so uh, we'll see who, uh, which side Terry Guo finally threw his support on. We've got to wait till November to find that out. Anyway, the Uber saga was back in the news this week with the ride-sharing company saying it will change its operational model here in Taiwan and partner with local taxi fleets. Now, the move means the ride-sharing company will avoid violating Article 103-1 or the Uber clause of the recently amended regulations for automobile transportation operators. Uber says it will work with the island's taxi industry and serve as a technology platform under the government's multi-purpose taxi scheme. Now, that scheme allows app based metering, upfront pricing and flexible vehicle appearances. And Uber also says that riders won't see any change to the app experience or to the services they've been used to under the old system. So as someone that uses Uber, Ross, what do you have to say about Uber buckling under government pressure? And there you go, doing what they said. We'll have to see how it works in practice and and whether or not uh, the quote that you just related from the Uber executives plays out, right? That that will the user experience be the same? At some point, local taxi companies, uh, were, and to some extent they've already done this, they improve the quality of service, improve the quality of their app. What, what they've struggled to do is offer the pricing solution that, that Uber so successfully offers all over the world. Uh, that, that yes, it's variable pricing, and sometimes it might be less expensive than a, than a meter taxi. And due to surge pricing, especially in rainy weather or holidays, uh, the the pricing is is, is going to go up due to demand. Uh, but at least on the quality side, and as far as having an app by which you could call a taxi, uh, the local taxi companies are, are catching up. Ultimately, Gavin, this is about protectionism. And, and so as a free markets guy, uh, unlike, uh, I'm going to say Xiao, you're, you're probably a little bit more to the socialist side than I am. <laughs> uh, so as the free market guy, uh, of course, I, I, I support uh, giving consumers choice. Uh, reasonable regulation is okay. Uh, you know, the, the solution that Uber often reached with regulators in other parts of the world is that their drivers have to be licensed and have to have insurance so that the cost base for the drivers begins to become comparable, if not necessarily identical, to uh, to metered taxis. Uh, but they still offer 
or, or have the flexibility, Uber, to give the, the, the variable pricing through the app. And again, we'll, we'll have to see how this, this plays out. Uh, from a consumer choice perspective, hopefully the, the user experience remains identical and what Uber says is correct. I'm a little bit skeptical. Uh, the regulators are probably going to find something they don't like about Uber's new model. And why do I say that? Because a couple of years ago, as, as anyone who's taken an Uber knows, they left Taiwan and came back. And when they came back, they said, we, we have a solution that we think will make the regulators happy. And then a few months later, a few years later, we got this Uber clause because actually the regulators and the taxi drivers, the, the, the meter taxi drivers said, no, we, we don't like Uber's new solution. So then Uber you know, was on the brink of being kicked out again. So we'll have to see if the government accepts this always. Uh, you know, Industry is smarter than government. This is just the reality. So uh, again, we'll have to see if Minister Lin, uh, uh, Minister of Transportation Communications, is is willing to accept this or, or if he's going to find a reason to say that that. Uh, no, the new model doesn't work either. And he will be under pressure from the taxi drivers. Right? No matter what Uber does, the meter taxi drivers and their political supporters, their politicians who support the taxi drivers, who don't support the public, who don't support consumer choice, those politicians are going to take up the taxi driver's cause and, and they will protest. They, they will be against whatever Uber does as long as Uber's here. Yeah, um, Ross is usually dead on correct on issues, but uh, he got me wrong this time. I'm I'm a socially progressive, but on economics, I'm I'm all for free market and free enterprises. So for full disclosure, again, uh, last time we talked about Uber, I did this too. Uh, I am uh, fully on Uber's side and also on all technology startups in Taiwan because I'm a startup uh, entrepreneur myself when I was in the States. Um, so as Russ pointed out, this is the second time that Uber has been buckling under pressure from the government. So last time in 2017, they were kicked out and came back. But I just want to... Um, Say that that will probably was not Uber's solution. There was a solution that's uh, been proposed or been worked jointly with the government. So, government agrees to that solution, which is to Uber to collaborate with the car rental company and then keep doing their business. And just as Ross said, um, taxi drivers initially didn't mind, say they just get out of my market, that's fine. But then they say that Uber keep growing and growing and still threatening their livelihood. So they just say, no way. So the government, you know, buckled and then trying to kick Uber out again. And this time around, I mean, Uber finally agreed to government's solution because uh, Minister Lane proposed finally to loosen the regulation that taxi drivers needs to get the pay by the meter. Um, and as long as that regulation has been loosened, um, Uber has been able to you know, keep operating under their upfront pricing, which just as Russ said, they can use their surge pricing to regulate the supply and demand and all that. So I think this is a good development, and we are all happy to see Uber stay. Um, but I just want to say that this, this whole saga has been really, really detrimental to Taiwan's tech uh, industry because the, the startups just cannot afford to have this again happening again. Right, it's been quite good for our show though because we've talked about it like scores and scores and scores and scores of times. Exactly. Maybe we should get a sponsorship from Uber. <laughs> Maybe we should get stickers with Uber shirts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, before we go this week, Taiwan's movie industry has scored a hit with a psychological horror movie titled Detention. Now, the movie grossed 67.7 million NT at the local box office in its first weekend at theatres. Now, the movie cost 95 million NT to make, so the 67.7 million in the first three days was quite good. Now, it's also a 
earned 12 nominations at this year's Golden Horse Awards, and the homework I gave my two guests was to watch the movie. So, Xiao, how was the movie? Scary? It was really, really scary. Yeah, I got scared all the time in the, uh, during the movie. But uh, I just want to say, I mean, I, I saw the movie the first time it came out, and I just want to, can I give it high enough praise? Because this this is said to be the f- very first movie about uh, Taiwan's white, era, white terror era. Um, it gave a, ve- a quite accurate uh, portrayal of what it was like to live under that um, white terror era. Um, environment so basically people in that time they just you know keep suspecting each other they they read they, they, they were afraid that no, students no, no spoilers oh okay yes <laughs> we're just trying to give a, a description of environment that, that the movie is portraying yeah but anyway it's very good i, I really encourage everybody to watch it it's a political movie uh, more so than oh a big the, spoiler from ross Feingold. oh <laughs> Well, you could call it a horror movie, but we're talking about an era um, which is you know, the politics are, are really what, what we're talking about today. Year, years years after the fact, we're you know we're assessing the, the politics of the era in, in Taiwan and what it means for Taiwan today, and and what it means for Taiwan's relationship with China. Uh, and I think that's. Uh, part of the reason why the movie is is popular right now. So if you don't like China, you'll probably like this movie, uh, and you should go see it. Uh, but as far as the awards, there's also a political angle, Gavin. Yeah, China's not coming. China's not coming. Hong Kong is increasingly not coming to the extent the the, the uh, film industry participants, whether on the business side or the acting side or, or the production side, uh, have uh, interests and relationships in China they want to protect, or if they want to uh, support uh, the cause of the protesters and, and not um, concede to the demands of Beijing, uh, the, there'll probably be a few exceptions. But the rule, you know, generally speaking, the Hong Kong movie industry participants are not going to be here either. Just okay, as, that means detention will win awards. Mark said it. Mark said it. Ten shout for the movie. But but here here's no wait. But here's the key point, Gavin. Sorry. <laughs> are are the and this is something to watch for the the people who are still going to show up at the event and the jury, the people voting on the awards. Do they have business interests in 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 China that they also want to protect? In which case they might not want to vote awards for a movie that has a political message directed in part towards China? Um, Or are they willing to uh, be bold enough to uh, award this movie, uh, the awards that it it deserves, and and to make a statement that we're not going to cave into Chinese pressure? So that's something to watch out for. Right. Mark, say ten shout for the movie. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, the movie winning a lot of awards. Mark, say ten. Ten out of ten. Nine out of ten. Nine, 10 out of 10, 10, out of 10. Ross marks out of 10 for detention uh, my, my movie rating scale does not go to the 10 the 10 mark that's that's beyond my movie okay marks rate. 5 out of 5 uh, <laughs> well you know the 5 star flag of China so we'll give it 5 stars there Gavin anyway that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan this week and I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold have a good weekend and Xiao Xing Sheng good night everyone and there won't be a show next Friday October the 11th as we'll be having the day off and waving the flag due to it being double 10 national day long weekend holiday but thanks for tuning into this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me Gavin Phipps and don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows (music) 
Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.